Warning, this podcast involves discussions of a spooky and graphic nature not suitable for children or the faint of heart. Strong language and mature content is present. Listener discretion is advised. You have been warned. When you want to hear about the paranormal, you get the spooked girls. True crime that makes you hypothermal with the three spooked girls. Stabby snippets will give you dreams. Tara and Jessica will make you. We on that haunted ground The three spooked girls Hey there spooksters and welcome back to another episode here on Three Spooked Girls. It is I, your co-host Jessica, and as always I am joined by my favorite gal pal, Tara. Hey spooksters. And today is our listeners episode, which is once a month we have listeners submit stories to us and we read them. So if you're new, welcome. And if you are one of our OG people or if you aren't new here, welcome back. If you would like to hang out with us on social medias, you can do so. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Our handle is at Three Spooked Girls. If you want to hang out with us on a more personal level, Tara and I are both in our Facebook group, which is Three Spooked Girls Official. It's a blast. People post such fun things in there. They crack us up and a lot of good discussions. A lot of good cases come from it too. So if you are interested in being a part of our Spookster community on a deeper level, definitely go join the Facebook group. Mm -hmm. Both Tara and I are on TikTok. You can find our TikTok links in our link tree, which is in the show notes or on our website. And if you want to help support the show, you can do so by heading over to patreon.com backslash three spooked girls or clicking the link in the link tree below. For as little as a dollar, you get an extra bonus episode per month. For $2 and up, you get what we call Jessica Slaughter's movie reviews or plotline or more affectionately known as slaughters. It's a twice a month. So two of them. One is a guess what? So you try to guess the movie I'm telling in a really vague kind of nonchalanty way. And then the other one is where I describe a movie in my weird nonlinear jump around jumbleness, which apparently is really entertaining for people to listen to. My husband calls it the frustrating conversations, but <laughs> <laughs> other people are like, this is fun entertainment. And if you're a $5 not patron, you actually get the Haunted Grounds, which is Tara's bonus that she does. It's a video content where she gives us a caffeinated beverage and she's gotten some fancy drinks in the last few that we've recorded. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then she tells you about a haunted possession or object. Some of them, I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> it did what? Right. Some were fucking terrifying. <laughs> and it's always fun to watch because we're flipped. So it always looks like I'm just ignoring Tara and staring off into the distance <laughs> when really I'm making like almost direct eye contact with her. <laughs> If you want to support the show, check those out. And $10 and up patrons get to pick a episode for our patron select. So our Patreon is a lot of fun. We do a lot of cool content over there. Definitely. So with that, we're going to go ahead and get started. And Tara is going to kick us off and read the first story of the January listeners episode. 
So our first story is an anonymous submission. She asked to be anonymous because she says at the end, I'd like to stay anonymous. It's just annoying with people treating me like the Long Island medium. So it gives you a little taste for what we got in store, guys. This story is fucking wild and terrifying. (laughs) All right. So they say, hey, love the podcast. And I feel like writing in about some crazy things that happened to me a while back. You see, I've always been very open spiritually my whole life. As a kid, I saw ghosts, demons, energies, you name it. I saw it. I used to tell my mom about it, and she would tell me it had to do with my grandfather being full-blooded Cherokee native. She would tell me stories about how spirits followed us, but not always good ones. Things just attach themselves to our family, which I've seen my entire life. I remember the spirit-slash-demon entering my brother's body when I was around five, and he went batshit crazy and ended up handcuffed to a hospital bed, saying he would be the savior and destroyer of the world. I know, fucking insane. Well, shit's always been a little weird. Our family has a large family history of just weird shit, good and bad. I learned to turn off my third sense as I got older. I didn't really like being able to see and feel this shit because it caused me a lot of anguish, even with the good spirits that would come to me. It was explained to me that I was like a light bulb in a dark void where these spirits and entities knew they could speak to me. Just imagine your phone going off 24-7 because someone knows you'll be awake. It's tiring. I learned to just turn off my light bulb so not to give any entity power in my life or have them feeding off my energies. Well, about four years ago, I moved into a small house in South Florida, and I remember feeling weird when I walked in but was like, fuck it. This place is cheap as fuck, and I'm going to ignore my medium third eye power, just like I had been trying to do the entirety of my teen and adult life. I remember seeing this ornate Catholic cross right above the door on the inside of the house that was just about bolted to the wall, like it wasn't coming down. And to me, I was like, no, this is a good sign. Must be feeling the energy wrong. My mom had been a very spiritually religious woman, and after she passed away, I would see signs like that, and I was like, this is where I need to be. This is good. I was fucking wrong. Everything was fine for a while when I first moved in, but after about three to four months, weird shit started happening. I noticed when my dog would freak out for no reason and just start barking in the middle of the night. I knew there was something there. I could feel its energy, just standing at the foot of my bed with a shit-eating grin. I always felt like I could see its eyes just staring back into mine with malice. It was always around 3 a.m., and I remember just being like, fuck me. Well, I just prayed and did a little protections and kept on keeping on. I remember I would have constant nightmares and always have a difficult time falling asleep. I was always so anxious. Well, not long after, my house would feel wet or really thick and humid inside despite me having the AC on full blast and a dehumidifier. Some days I came home and it smelled like something was rotting, like a dead animal. I would take out the trash, bathe a dog, and even to see if an animal had gotten into the attic and maybe died, but nothing. So me not being afraid of shit, even though I knew good and well what was happening, bought some Febreze and was like, fuck it. Weird shit just kept on happening. I remember one night I was trying to sleep and I heard stuff falling from the ceiling onto my bed. I got up and turned on the light and there was fucking centipedes in the fucking bed. Fuck that shit. Then the mold came, mold growing behind pictures and covering anything leather in the house. Now I get it. Why didn't you move out? You knew this was no good. You should have left. Well, I was 18 and basically had no money, and the money I did have was being saved. I was not dipping into that shit. I had felt things like this my whole life and handled them just fine. I was like, I've dealt with demons, good spirits, fucking scary-ass shadow people. I was not letting this shit fuck up me having $400 rent with everything included. 
So naturally, like the fucking idiot I was who wanted cheap-ass rent, I called someone to handle the mold. I remember starting to feel really depressed all the time and started drinking a lot. Drinking became a daily thing for me. I've suffered from mental illness my whole life. My theory being, as well as talking to dead people every now and then, I'm an empath, and I figured I've always pulled over people's pain into myself, because the only time I've ever had to be medicated or go to therapy was when I was around other people with mental illness or drug problems. Just a theory, though. Well, I stopped caring about my job, I continued to have a hard time sleeping. I was in a constant state of either anger, sadness, or anxiety. I started slowly spiraling into a black hole. I remember even my friends, boyfriend, and family would be like, who the fuck are you? I don't even know you anymore. It was a shit time for me in my life, one of the shittiest times I can remember, actually. Constant dread and no desire to do anything but drink. Then the knocking started, three knocks every night on the back of my freezer, and well, I just started yelling at it, saying, fuck you, leave me alone, I'm trying to sleep. I'm not scared of you, and I'm not leaving, so just fucking stop. Oh, did I ever challenge the fucker, because maybe two days later, I came home from work and the whole apartment was covered in flies. It was so thick with flies that you couldn't even see in when you opened the door. So once again, I told it, fuck you, got flying insect killer, and told it to fuck off and go fuck with somebody else. Well, obviously, they didn't like this either. There were nights when I would be jolted awake because my fire detector would start going off for no reason, or I would hear someone trying to break into my house, and when I'd look out the window, no one was there. I'd even called my brother, who was a cop, and asked if someone could sit nearby my house in a squad car. My boyfriend thought I was losing my mind. He legit even threatened to Baker act me. He just wanted his girlfriend back. And why don't you go live with your boyfriend? Um, I'm an independent woman and we're still pretty fresh. Your girl wasn't about to be like, hey, my house is fucking haunted by a demon, so I'm just gonna move all my shit in. No, he already thought I was losing my mind. Do you think he'd want to live with me? So I told him to come stay the night with me. We always stayed at his house, hoping he would see or hear it and be like, babe, I'm sorry, you're not crazy. So we're laying in bed and I can audibly hear somebody whispering hey to me. Naturally, I turn over and I'm like, babe, don't fuck with me. It really happens. He was dead asleep. So I'm like, fuck. And I wake him up and I'm like, babe, listen. We sat silently and he looks at me like, what? What do you want? Why the fuck are we being quiet? Then like clockwork at 3 a.m., the three knocks on the back of the fridge. My dog starts snarling and growling and the front doorknob starts jiggling. My boyfriend shot out of bed, grabbed his gun and ran to the front door and opened it. And nothing. He looked at me, white face, and just says, we're leaving now. We left the house and went to his and he spent the rest of the night staring at me like, what the actual fuck? After that, every little noise he would jump and be like, did it follow us? The next morning, a friend of mine who does some witchy Santeria stuff comes over and we saged and blessed the house. I was feeling really good about it, but it really pissed it off. I had gotten home that night. Don't judge, Jessica. I know. Why in the fuck would I ever go back to sleep there? Well, I don't fucking know either. Maybe <laughs> I was trying to prove to myself that I was a bad bitch and had banished this fucker to hell. I like that this story is just straight calling me out for being like, why do people go back? <laughs> uh. Well, I went to sleep and was awoken by being physically pinned down in my bed. I sleep in my stomach and I could feel a hand on the back of my head holding my face into the pillow and somebody's full body weight on top of me. Whatever it was, was legit trying to rape me. Nope. Mm-mm. Nope. I know. This is the, like that American Horror Story shit. And then like last month we have the whole demon fingers in the hair, <laughs> which shortly after we recorded that, I watched a TikTok where they were like, you shouldn't wear your hair up when you sleep because it causes damage. I'm like that and demon fingers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I remember.
remember my legs being spread apart and trying everything I could to keep them closed. I remember even thinking in my head, this thing is going to kill me. I could feel its breath on the back of my neck and audibly tell me I belonged to it. Then it just disappeared. I laid there shaking, too scared to even get up. My dog finally came over and was licking my hand. She was whimpering in the corner during the whole encounter. I took this as, okay, we're okay, let's fucking move. I sprung out of bed and was like, fuck this, and went and slept on my brother's couch that night. I ended up moving in with my then-boyfriend the next day and told my landlord I was moving out and gave them the keys back. A couple months later, I was talking to my friend's mom, the friend that practices Santeria, her mom does too, and she legit told me she had been to that house and couldn't believe the owners actually rented it out after the weird shit that happened there. Apparently some fucked up shit happened there and she actually saw first person. From what she tells me, there was a woman who lived there who practiced Santeria as well, but wasn't quite into the light magic. They were having a ceremony and summoned something fucking bad, aka a demon. They couldn't even get it to leave, apparently, so they trapped it in a talisman of sorts. Which was, can you guess? The fucking cross bolted to the doorframe. The one thing that I was like, yeah, good vibes, was the fucking thing that if I had touched it, I would have known and been like, yeah, no, fuck this. I've had many more experiences, good and bad, but this is by far the worst experience I have ever had. Thank you for reading. That story. Oh my god. I know. Like... Mm-mm. Even just the Knox regular, I'd been like, okay, bye. We're done. We're leaving. We're moving. Right. So our next story comes from Sam. And fun fact, Tara, Sam found the podcast because they found your TikTok. <gasps> Yay. I love that. That makes me happy. Sam sent us a couple stories, but this one is about Moundsville or the West Virginia State Penitentiary. And if you've been around here for a minute, you know that last year we did Moundsville. Was it last year? It was the year before. Holy fuck. I don't know. It's in the backlog somewhere. It's in the backlog. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. No, seriously, guys. Like, we were just talking about this. I was like, we just did fairies. And then I looked back and it was like, no, we did that forever. Okay, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. That's like almost a year old now. <laughs> yeah, we have like a time distortion when it comes to the podcast. Yeah, definitely. It's like, we just did Ed Kemper. <laughs> <laughs> For real. <laughs> nice. Okay, so the story comes from Sam. They write, it's Sam again with another spookster story. This will be about one of my favorite places that I've ever been to, the West Virginia State Penitentiary. I listened to the episode you both did on it, and I was like, wow, I have to share my stories. So here I am. Yes, because we ask you, like, if we do talk about a haunted place or even a person that's like a true crime and you have stories, send them. We've had a Ted Bundy. We've had an Israel Keys. One of the asylums I did for a Patreon live stream. Yeah, we've had all kinds of cool stuff. Oh, and I even think, like, one of the hotels, too. Like, we've had a lot of cool stories. Yeah. Eureka Springs. That's what it was. I was like, I know it's a spring. Yeah. The Crescent Hotel, that too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you have these stories, tell us. Please. Yes. So a few years ago in October of 2018, my best friend and I went to the penitentiary for their Dungeons of Horror Halloween themed event where they turned a big portion of the prison into a haunted attraction, which I totally was like before reading this story. I was like, I want to do. And then I read the story and I'm like, not in my lifetime. (laughs) Her dad grew up in Moundsville and was so excited to take us there and show us the small town. My favorite show in the world is Ghost Adventures. And I was excited to be able to go to a location where they 
they filmed. Upon arrival, the gothic-like structure was breathtaking. Words can't even describe how monstrous and beautiful it really is. It seems to appear out of nowhere when you're driving up towards it. There was a group of 12 of us, and we were going through the attraction. They split us up into three groups of four. You're essentially taking a trip through hell when you're going through the attraction. The guides act like guards and treat you like prisoners. They put you in the electric chair, Old Sparky, which is the original one in the museum next to the lobby, alongside weapons that were made by the prisoners and Charles Manson's actual letters. He wrote to the warden to ask to be transferred to the prison in order to be closer to home since Charles Manson spent some of his youth living there. Anyway, they also put you in a coffin and they send you through a tunnel to meet Satan. So I have a question about this. Sam, you have to answer this question for me. Here's the backstory. When Tara and I went to New York last year, we were wandering around New York and I don't like coldness because I'm from California and I can't survive like 60 degrees, let alone... (laughs) It was 40 degrees. And Tara's like, it's just a brisk day out. Well, okay. To be fair to you, it was also very windy. Like, it was breezy, too. It's true. Yeah, I was not I was not handling the situation well at all. No, no. And so I was like, Tara, we have to get inside somewhere because I cannot just wander around Central Park like a fucking popsicle the rest of the day. <laughs> so we were like, New York is like famous for their museums. So I was like, Tara, let's go to a museum. And I'm thinking like we're going to go to the Met or like, you know, I can't think of another famous New York museum right now. <laughs> but anyway, you know, so I'm like, oh, we should go and then we Google museums near us and the Museum of Sex pops up. And Tara and I are like, okay, what's this about? And then we clicked on the pictures and it has this like display of like, basically this room was like Karma Sutra, but it was like stuffed animals. Like campy. Yeah, So we were like, we must go see this. And so we went. And of course, that's not the exhibit they had. They had one on porn and then another one that was just like really depressing. I don't want to talk about. Mm. But it was also like very fun, too, because like on top of your tickets, you could get like they have a game room so you can play the games. So Tara and I were like, fuck, yeah, we're going to play the games. And they had like some of them were like really fun. Like they had a fortune teller type game. It was RuPaul. Yes, it was. Yeah. And then there was like that 4D video thing. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. It was like, okay, so the screens were like roof to floor and they went panned all the way around us. And we were in these chairs like the theater chairs, but they would like move. We would feel things. There was like air and I think like water or something at one point, which wasn't supposed to be water. Mm -hmm. And yes, that was an adventure. We were all fucking everybody in there. We were all cracking the fuck up. Like, what the fuck is happening? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. And I was being a little bit extra. Like when the water came out, I was like, ew. And like, you know, just being really over the top. Yes. Oh, yeah. And like, then they had like a bouncy house that was boobs, which was hilarious. But then you go into this like other little arcade room where I won essentially. <laughs> Whack a dick. (laughs) Something like that. So basically, it's like, looks like a bunch of bathroom stalls and you play against a person. And if you know me, I'm competitive as fuck. I am like, oh, we we play in checkers? Like, I'm gonna beat your ass. Like, that kind of shit. Like, I don't play. (laughs) So when there was like this moment where... Like, Tara and I go into these different stalls, and you're supposed to yank on these dildos, and whoever gets the most at the end wins. And I was like, I am not about to fucking lose this, because I'm competitive. And Tara's, like, laughing her ass off. <laughs> Long story short, I won that. 
But to get out and go down back to like the main area, you had two choices. You could either like walk back out and like go down the stairs or you could climb up and go down this tunnel, which was a vagina. Yeah, vagina slide. Yeah, it was a vagina slide. Also, the first thing they tell you when you decide to do this is be careful at the top and don't hit your head. But the ceiling is mirrored. And I was like, why the fuck would you hit your head? And I like, I shit you not. I hit my head so fucking hard. Tara was like, uh, are you okay? Do we need to go to the hospital? Yeah, I was really concerned because it was like so loud. Oh, my God. It was such a hard hit. Like <laughs> the lady was like, oh, you fine. Walk it off. So this is my question to like now that I've hijacked your story and like told this one. Is it like you got into a coffin and then you slid down a tunnel and met Satan? Or was it like they put you in a coffin and then they pushed like and then you walked down a tunnel later? I need answers, Sam, please. Did you slide to Satan? Please let me know. Did you slide to Satan? Was that the kind of tunnel? Or was it just like a tunnel you walked through? I need to know these things because like I have a frame of reference anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, so they put you in a coffin and then they send you down a tunnel where you meet Satan. It is not for the faint of heart. After that, they lock your group up in an actual prison cell where they kept prisoners. The only spooky encounter during this event was when we were in the cell. We were in there for a good 15, 20 minutes in pure pitch darkness. I'm like, no, I can't do that. Mm -mm. Mm Mm-mm. My best friend, her dad, and his boyfriend were all in front of me. So my back was to the back of the cell, and I thought one of them was behind me, but then I realized no one was there, and they were all in front of me. This gave me the chills for the rest of the night. I didn't feel threatened. It's just something I wasn't expecting. Ever since I left, I've had this deep connection with this place. I couldn't stop thinking about it and constantly wanting to go back, as if something was trying to pull me back. Flash forward to July 18th, 2019, my birthday. I wanted nothing more than to go to Moundsville to the penitentiary again. My boyfriend, best friend, and her boyfriend and I went and took the tour. It was phenomenal. Afterwards, we drove to find the Westgate Cemetery where some of the prisoners were buried. After a good 45 minutes, we found it off a dirt road. I shit you not when I say it looked like a scene out of a horror movie. I can send pictures if you would like. Yes! Yes, we want them. If you have pictures to go along with your story, and I know later on the story mentions a video as well, send them to us. We would love to share them. Please do. The tombstones were license plates that the prisoners made when they, while they were incarcerated with names on them and the year they died. Let's speed up now to November of 2019. My boyfriend, two friends, and I bought tickets to spend an overnight there from 10 p.m. to 4 a.m., to investigate. There was 36 people who bought tickets to spend the night too. We took the normal two-hour tour and after that the tour guides told us to have fun and let us roam free for the night. We were able to go anywhere and everywhere we wanted, even places they don't show you on the tour. We were very excited to spend the time in the boiler room because that's where all the fucking murders happen. Stabby, stab, stab. It's the bloody boiler room. Mm-hmm. You can't see your hand two inches in front of your face. It's that dark down there. The tour guide told us that Zach from Ghost Adventures was most scared of that room and refused to be alone in there until they filmed the episode. And I understand why. It's almost traumatizing how dark that feeling is down there. All four of us made sure we waited until everyone else that was staying overnight was out of the room so we could be down there by ourselves. My boyfriend decided to stay down there by himself for a few minutes. So the three of us stood at the top of the cellar door to make sure no one else would go in. All three of us were talking about wanting to go to the old cafeteria next. 
As we were talking, my boyfriend ran up the steps and asked if any of us were down there. And we were like, no, why? He said he felt something standing directly behind him. And once he realized that no one else was down there with him, he got scared shitless and ran up to us. That's a moment he will never forget. We make our way to the old cafeteria, which is one of the biggest rooms in the prison. We were all standing there quietly when I got an uneasy feeling. Within the next second, I heard what sounded like the clacking of rocks being thrown. We were the only ones in there. Eventually, we made our way to the top of the infirmary. My boyfriend, our friend, and I were all together, while the other friend was about three rooms away. Meanwhile, these rooms were giant about 50 feet by 50 feet. She came running back to us out of breath and we asked her what was wrong. She proceeded to show us a video just walking into the room by herself when out of nowhere she heard and captured what sounded like a gunshot. You can see in the video that she stopped dead in her tracks and started to run back to us. We didn't hear a thing. That scared us all to our core. I have the video if you guys would like to see it. I can send it. Yes, please. This prison, like I said, is not for the faint of heart, but is worth visiting and taking a tour and learning more about one of the most corrupt prisons in the country has ever had. I'm sorry if this was so long. Love your podcast. Keep up the great work. Well, thank you, Sam. Thank you. Anyway, we're going to take a quick moment to thank the patrons who signed up since the last time we did a listener's read. Okay, so we want to say thank you to these newest patrons since our last listeners episode. We want to say thank you to Kylie, Amy, Lindsay, Tori, Caitlin, Maria, Mel, Melissa, Stacy, Jennifer, Lisa, Sharon, Genevieve for switching to annual, Skylar for switching to annual, Kathy for upgrading to our $25 tier, Jean, Melanie, Nikki, Liz, Sean, Stephanie, and James. Thank you guys so, so much. Yes, thank you. We really, really appreciate it. And we love making the content over on Patreon for you guys. Okay, so this comes from Jen, who sent us the borrower story. Like I mentioned, she sent a few stories. So we got some good ones later in the future. And uh, this one's a little older, but the borrower's one was such a feel good. And I let Jessica pick last time. (laughs) This one's a little scarier. (laughs) Okay, so Jen writes, hello, Tara and Jessica. Happy Spooktober. First, let me tell you, I truly enjoy the show. I liked the anniversary event and was very sad because of unforeseen events. I was unable to attend the meet and greet afterwards. Listening to the podcast has introduced me to a group of people like me that encounter strange, almost unexplainable stuff. One disclaimer with this story, I need balance and what I'm going to share is so dark that I'll be adding in an uplifting story after this as well. So brief history, I've always been able to see, sense, and hear strange things. Not all of them are bad. I didn't realize my mom and her mom had the same gift until a few years ago. My daughter recently told me she also has visitors that live with her and she's learning to deal with them. Funny story, her boyfriend is not a believer. One day at her house, he went into the bathroom and he came out and said, do you know there's an old man in the bathroom? My kid said, yeah, don't worry about it. He's my grandpa and lives here. Her grandpa passed away four years ago. That's so crazy. I know. I love it, though. So on to the demon story. We moved into our current home about 10 years ago. Shortly after moving in, my stepson said he kept seeing a man in his closet. We told him to tell it to go away, and he never said anything much about the guy in the closet after that. About two years after we moved in, the people across the street moved out, and that's when strange stuff started happening. It was like anger, rage, mean heaviness was overly present in the house. My stepson started hitting us, being belligerent, and cussing at us. I lost my job, and the recession hit. I had my sister come over and sage the house. That helped. 
but not for long. When someone moved into the house across the street, the occurrences lessened and the house seemed to lose its heaviness. We would have the mild occurrences whenever the house across the street was empty. One day, I saw the neighbor pack up his car and asked if he was moving, and he told me he was going on vacation for a couple months. I called my sister right away and had her sage the house. She did the whole house except for one spot over the couch. That night, I was sitting on the couch, and I could feel this intense heat overhead. I looked up, and there was a black shape clinging to the ceiling over the couch. It was extremely angry, and I can only summarize its anger was because the sage had stuck it there. My sister came over the next day and finished the house. I know you're waiting for the extremely spooky thing, and we're finally at it. I just needed you to have the background first. I work the night shift and sleep during the day. About four years ago, I was in bed sleeping. My wife was at work, and the kids were at school. I remember waking up on my back, a position I rarely sleep in. There was a black figure on top of the bed, and I couldn't move my hands. I could move my legs and my head, just not my arms or hands. The figure was holding onto the bed. The figure had red eyes and was snarling at me. I kept reciting scripture in my head over and over. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. The demon snarled at me and said, that's all you've got? I had a moment of hesitation and it took that opportunity to start to reach through my skin into my chest. I could feel it heading straight for my heart. As the hand got closer, I remember saying, Jesus, help me. Then poof, like a flash, the demon was gone and I could move. I got up, ran to my jewelry case and grabbed my crucifix necklace, put it on, and then after some time of calming down, went to sleep on my couch. When my other half got home, I explained what happened. We had the house saged and anointed again. I would like to say that it stopped the demon, but no. It has not attacked me in my sleep or at any other time, but it still pops up every once in a while to let us know it can. We bring out the sage and anointing oil and things get quiet again. I know it can sound like a bunch of BS. Sometimes I question it myself, but I know it happened and I won't forget it anytime soon. Now, like I said, with the dark, I need light, especially when it's something that dark. This was around 20 years ago. I worked for a trucking company that pulled flatbeds. We parked our trucks at the facility that would deliver flat plate steel for. One day, I had come back from my day deliveries. I stopped in and talked to some of the fellow drivers before I headed to the back of the building where we had parked the trucks. As I started to turn the corner to go to the back, I noticed that there was a truck parked back there in the drive. This was nothing unusual because they often loaded trailers back there. The unusual thing was the man lying face down on the ground and not moving. I remember saying, get up, come on, get up, but the driver didn't move. I set the parking brake and jumped out of the truck only to realize my worst fears, that the guy was bleeding from his head and not moving. Now, brief pause, I had gotten my first cell phone, a flip phone Motorola, but was not used to carrying one. I was used to the pager days, yes, I am that old, and that's why I didn't call 911 myself. Back to the events. I took off through the warehouse to the office and told the ladies in there they needed to call 911 because there was a man in the back laying on the ground bleeding from his head. They asked me who it was and I said I didn't know it's a driver laying on the ground next to his fully secured and tarped load in the back. They then asked what color truck. By this time I was getting annoyed and said I didn't know. I was more concerned about the guy bleeding to death. They ran out of the office. The girl then ran back in and said it was her uncle and to call 911. I went back and they covered him with a blanket but didn't move him because they were not sure if he fell off the trailer or what. I moved my truck so EMS could get to him. When emergency personnel got there, I gave them my statement. The man was badly beaten and barely breathing when they took him off in the ambulance. That night was a rough night's sleep. I finally fell asleep to only be awoken by someone repeatedly saying my name. When I opened my eyes, there was a woman with long hair in a white gown in front of me. I asked her what she wanted, but she only smiled. I remembered the white glow that was around her and how the light only seemed to be in the spot we were in. I looked over at the clock and it was 2.12 a.m. When I looked back where she was, she was gone. I fell back asleep. 
All day at work, I wondered about the guy and if he was all right. So after work, I went to the office for the steel company where the man's niece worked. I asked her how her uncle was doing, and she told me that he had been air flighted to U of M hospital. He had several facial bones broken, including his cheekbone and eye socket. He suffered a fractured skull and brain swelling. He had several broken ribs, a punctured lung, bruised kidney, and a back issue. They didn't expect him to live. But she said that at 2.12 a.m., he had stabilized and his condition was deemed critical. She told me he was going to be okay. To this day, I get chills when I talk about that encounter. It's a feel-good thing. I know this is long, but you guys don't mind them that way. I have other stories to share. I'll send them in another time. I just know you asked for some super spooky, the spookier the better, and well, that's the spookiest ones I have. Tara, you're always looking for the topics of haunted things. Why not try some haunted roads? Not folklore roads, but actual haunted stretches of road. I drove truck all over the road for three years, and there's several stretches of road where the drivers had been visited by entities. US 78 in Alabama is one of those roads. Thank you for all the topics and hours of entertainment, Jen. Okay, so the first time we recorded this, her telling me that reminded me of this movie, and I'm like, I'm still trying to rack my brain. Okay, guys, it's these like group of like probably early 20 somethings. I don't fucking know. And they're in like two separate cars and they're going to a car race, like a drag race, or I don't fucking, not a drag race, but like basically uh, Fast and Furious, how they just, you know, use their fucking cars. It was like that kind of race thing. And I cannot remember anything about this movie. And it's driving me crazy. And it's a horror movie. And the reason I'm bringing it up is because, like, there's, like, this country highway, like, where Jessica and I grew up, how it's, like, two lanes. Like, they're both going one each way. And it's just the middle of nowhere. But it's this haunted road. And all this crazy shit happens. If anybody knows what the fuck I'm talking about, please tell me. Because it's driving me insane. And I cannot (laughs) figure it out. been trying to figure it out for days. So help me, please. (laughs) But... That was my last story, so I'm going to hand it to Jessica to wrap us up. Yes. Sorry, I was Googling. I was trying to figure it out, but I could not figure it out. The only thing I came close to was like Joyride, which I don't think is correct. No. So our last story for this episode is going to come from Carol. I've got some stories for you. My name is Carol, and I grew up in a suburb of Chicago called Elmwood Park. It was a pretty safe town, mostly decent people. I had an uneasy feeling at home when I was young, like from five or so into my teens. My poor sister got dragged with me whenever I had to go places in the house at nighttime. I was positive that there was something living under my bed. The most creepy place was the basement. That's for another time, though. Around eight years old or so, I had an affinity for horses. My mom got me this lamp for the nightstand in the bedroom that my sister and I share. I grew up in the 70s and was a teen in the 80s, so styles were different than they are now, although some fashions are coming back in style. We had these type of shades that were on a roller, which I totally understand because Tara knows this because she's seen my childhood bedroom. Mm -hmm. There were three windows in my childhood bedroom. There was this giant window that I used to crawl in and out of all the time because it literally was like up against a trellis outside, like where ivy was supposed to grow. And I could put the recycling bin and then climb up and then pop the screen in and out. And that's how I would get out. My family didn't have a security alarm on our house. so (laughs) (laughs) Then I had a regular size window that was like off our back porch that if you were tall enough, so let's say over six feet, you could see into my house. Or see into the window, which both my dad and my brother were. So that was annoying. And then I had this long ass window. So the long ass window was like the size of like a, it was probably what, like three feet high and like probably 
eight feet long. So my mom had this special made roller curtains for this thing way back in the 80s when we first moved into the house. And she never wanted to change them because fuck it. She was never gonna change them. And they were ugly as hell. They were brown because my parents believed that wood paneling was still a choice that we should be rocking in the early 2000s. I hated it so much. Like my room was always covered in like posters and stuff like that because I hated the paneling so much. So I know exactly what these drapes are. They're like, it's like a roller and then you pull them down and then if you let them go, they'll like go up and spin around, which is what she's about to say. Sometimes if you get a little tug and let go, they would sail all the way up to the top and flap as it spun. You know what I mean? It would go around a couple of times and then stop. Anyway, so back to the lamp. As I mentioned, I was positive something was living under my bed and I was petrified of being punished because I knew I was going to be in my bedroom alone to think about what I had done. But my dad didn't care. He was proving a point. Sometimes I would be looking at the lamp with the two horses, a mom and a foal, at the base and sometimes it would click on and off by itself. You had to turn a little knob to operate it and it made a sound. I would dive under the covers for a long time. My Irish twin brother convinced me we had vampires, so I slept with a small blanket wrapped tight around my neck as well. As for the window shade, much like the lamp, at times they would just suddenly go into action. I'd be sitting there on on my bed. I like to sleep next to or near the window. So I'd be looking at or towards the window and no one was there except for me and the shade would suddenly go to the top and spin around a couple of times. Under the covers, I went for a bit. I'd peek out from under and eventually muster the balls to pull the shade down. Once the task was done, I took refuge under the blankets. I wish I could say I got out of there and slept somewhere else in the house, but I was a kid and we didn't have any spare space to sleep. It didn't matter anyway because the ghosts were all over the house. The basement was the worst. My mother was very in tune with the spirit world and as I got older, we would talk about things I had seen, heard, and felt over the years. She had confirmed that there were at least three active spirits accompanying or occupying the house with us. It got so out of control when I was in my teens that my mom had a priest come and bless the house. First and foremost, if it's a friendly entity, I don't care because then I'm like, at least I'm not alone. Right. (laughs) But if it was like causing shit, I'd be like, you gots to go. You either got to calm the fuck down or you gots to go. Right. And you get one warning and then sage in this bitch. Mm-hmm. I left there when I was in my early 20s. They eventually sold the house in the early 2000s, so that book's done. But wait, there's more. I've had experiences in, a, in apartments and even in a La Quinta Inn with my dog and two cats at the time. That sounds very interesting and I'd like to hear that story. Well, that's all for now. I'll send more stories if you'd like. Yes, please. Mm-hmm. You ladies do a good job. I really enjoy how real you are. Keep up with the spooky awesomeness. Enthused listener, Carol. Aw, thank you, Carol. Yes. Well, that wraps it up for this month's listeners episode. If you want your story featured on here, go ahead and send it to us. You can do so. We either recommend sending it to the like page or sending it to our email, which is threespookedgirls at gmail.com. Well, with that, we're going to say goodbye. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.